Take a deep breath, take the higher road That's what they always say, as if they know the way They won't take it from me But don't ever doubt yourself, it's life ain't just a dream You make your own, so kick and scream The people will like with a never-ending force You never had the chance, so what you waiting for? The day has come, my friend, cause this is war Today I want to shed light on a topic that often goes unnoticed and unspoken. The struggles of coping with the PANS PANDAS diagnosis. PANS, which stands for Pediatric Acute Onset Neuropsychiatric Syndrome, and PANDAS, which stands for Pediatric Autoimmune Neuropsychiatric Disorders Associated with Streptococcal Infections, are disorders that affect the brain and cause sudden and debilitating changes in a child's behavior and cognitive abilities. Imagine for a moment being a parent and witnessing your child go from their happy, vibrant self to someone completely unrecognizable. Overnight, they may develop obsessive compulsive behaviors, severe anxiety, tics, mood swings, and even sudden regressions in their academic and social skills. It is a heartbreaking and bewildering experience for any family. The journey of a pants pandas diagnosis is often filled with frustration and confusion. Many doctors and health practitioners are unfamiliar with these disorders, leading to misdiagnosis or a lack of appropriate treatment. Many families find themselves on a roller coaster of doctor visits, searching for answers and desperately trying to find relief for their child's suffering. But it's not just the medical aspect that poses challenges. Families coping with these diagnoses often face financial burdens, as treatment options can be costly and insurance coverage may be limited. Additionally, as these disorders are still not widely understood, there can be a lack of support and understanding from friends, families, and even schools. The emotional toll on both the child and their family cannot be underestimated. Parents may experience feelings of guilt, helplessness, and frustration as they witness their child's struggles. Siblings may feel neglected or overwhelmed by the sudden changes in their family dynamics. It is a collective struggle that impacts every member of the household. However, amidst these challenges, there is hope. Awareness of PANS PANDAS is growing, and with it comes increased research and understanding. More healthcare professionals are becoming knowledgeable about these disorders, leading to improved diagnosis and treatment options. Support groups and online communities are forming, providing a lifeline for families to connect, share experiences, and seek guidance. You're listening to Nurses Out Loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nurse Kimberly Overton. Before we get started today, I do want to encourage our listeners, if you have questions or comments, or perhaps you want to share your own experiences with what you're seeing on the front lines of healthcare, you can now submit those to us by sending them directly to nurses at americaoutloud.com. We will be featuring your questions and comments every Tuesday on a special Q&A episode with the nurses. We encourage all of you to engage in the battle and find your voice in this fight. But until you are able to do that, we will continue to be that voice for you. Today, I wanna introduce you to Amber Libert, a dedicated military wife for 26 years and counting. 
Through unexpected circumstances, she became an accidental homeschool mom to her two children, who are now thriving college students. Amber's passion for holistic nutrition led her to pursue a degree from Clayton College of Natural Health. Hailing from Alaska, she has always been a lifelong learner, embracing knowledge of all things related to functional health and wellness. She is a mom of a Pan's Pandas child with a story of hope and encouragement to share. She strives to thrive and is here to share resources and tools with other families going through a similar season. Amber, thank you so much for being here today. Good morning, Kimberly. Thank you so much for um, having me. It is such an honor to be here. Absolutely. I'm really excited to have you on. Um, you know, we were connected, um, I guess it's been several months ago now by Teresa Holler, who's mm -hmm. Sharice is amazing. Um, oh, she, yes. She's just amazing. She's a, a physician assistant, and I had met her um, back at the MAPS conference in Charlotte, North Carolina. MAPS, uh, for those of you who don't know, is the Medical Academy of Pediatric Special Needs. And I, I heard her talk, and we became really, really fast friends. She's, she's just fantastic. Yeah. And as I was getting to know uh, Teresa, you know, and she was getting kind of to know what we do at, at Remnant Nursing, um, we discovered that she had this incredible treatment plan. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. Um, but that's how you and I got connected. And um, I was, your story was just so inspiring to me. And it's really what was the catalyst for, for us getting involved with Pans and Pandas and learning more about that. So I want you to share with my listeners, if you would, kind of what exactly is Pans Pandas? I, I spoke briefly yeah. about the definition, but what exactly does that look like and how does it affect children? Um, yeah, no, that's a really good question. Um, thank you, Kim. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Therese is amazing. And I I feel like this is such an amazing opportunity that like only God could have correlated, um, connected the dots. Uh, because really when you're in the thick of it and you're just struggling with the child's illness, um, which we're going to talk about here momentarily, you know, you really are feeling like you're in just a little bit of a bubble, just kind of like trying to survive and get through the day. Um, and so the fact that, you know, I've been able to be connected with you and and through maps and, and that word is getting out um, and, you know, it's, it's such a blessing. And I, I really hope that today's show is a big blessing to some families listening out there or nurses or medical providers that are listening that can in turn, you know, just the, um, the ripple effect of these resources and tools and hope, you know, can just hit a lot of people. But um, yeah, so back to your question, what is, you know, pans pandas? So you are correct that the academic definition is pediatric auto um, acute onset neuropsychiatric disorder associated, associated with streptococcus. So back in the um, late eighties, there was a doctor by the name of Suzanne Suido um, and she pediatrician. And she also happened to have a connection and worked with like the national Institute for um, mental health. And she hadn't had a special patient that she had had for probably about 15 plus years. She had known this family, known these children very well, had done their annual exams, sick visits, et cetera. And the mom brought in the daughter one day and said, you know, something's not right. My daughter is, you know, developed OCD. And it was very fascinating because she, they thought, well, at the time, oh, isn't OCD genetic? Well, it's not. Um, it has to do with brain inflammation, which they wouldn't find out until later. But the OCD connection, Dr. Suido basically made the connection, looking back through her files, 
with about 20 plus patients that, wait a minute, I'm having these seemingly normal, healthy kids. They end up with a strep infection and then they develop OCD within a few days or week, you know, shortly thereafter and was making, so initially it was just pandas, you know, so pediatric acute onset neuropsychiatric disorder associated with strep. What is the neuropsychiatric disorder? That's a really big word um, for just the lay listeners. And really, you know, neuro is brain and then psychiatric, you know, when they're having these symptoms that they seemingly are a little bit out of control, you know, is it rage? Is it OCD? You know, is it um, severe separation anxiety? You know, what is, what is, what is, you know, happening? Are they hallucinating? Are they hearing voices? Like, what is it? It's very scary. Um, And then what they found uh, was that it went beyond just strep. Um, they were finding kids with mycoplasma infection, which is the bacteria that basically leads to um, like walking pneumonia, you know, that can cause um, OCD type symptoms and influenza and limes and Bartonella. And, you know, all of a sudden the umbrella started growing. So they needed a, another acronym for these umbrella illnesses that were causing these neuropsychiatric symptoms. And so they basically called that PANS, you know, so that pediatric acute onset neuropsychiatric syndrome. Um, I will say I do take issue with that acute onset. I don't love that word because really what we found is that there's a long medical history that happened before these kids ever got to the point that the OCD developed. And that's the kind of the part of the journey that I wanna shed a little bit of light on um, is that there's initial medical history. And so with with our daughter, um, you know, you have to look at that medical history leading up to, well, how did we get here? And so when they say acute onset, to me in my mind, it's really just the, the straw that broke the camel's back. What was it that was the final blow to the immune system that made it to where the brain was now affected and it was, it was losing the battle, so to speak. And all of a sudden you have these neuropsychiatric symptoms coming out, you know, and so expressing themselves in many ways. Um, So my daughter, my second daughter was born um, in Alaska. I had a three-year-old, very healthy daughter. Um, You know, I, I did have an interest in, in, you know, functional health, but I also, was a mom that believed my pediatrician. You know, I trusted my pediatricians when they told me, you know, hey, we need to vaccinate. And I'm like, oh, absolutely, okay. You know, I was vaccinated as a kid. My husband was vaccinated. You know, there was really no reason not to. And I had a very healthy three-year-old that had been vaccinated, no problem. Um, when our second daughter was born um, in 2006, um, born in Alaska, and, you know, it was interesting because from the beginning, we, there was just something a little bit different with her, with her medical health. Um, when she, when I was in the hospital, they put little probes um, on her head, w- like before she was born, because they were trying to, you know, monitor her heart rate. And well, after she was born, it was like, huh, that's funny. Her lymph nodes are swollen on the back of her, on the back of her neck. You know, her, her doctor noticed that. And he's like, that's, that's really funny. Um, and then when she was about four months old, we moved from Alaska to North Carolina in Alaska, we had had no, no problems um, at four months old. We moved to North Carolina and shortly after moving, um, she got a round of vaccines. Um, and we also lived within about 30 miles of a uh, wood, like a wood pulp plant, kind of a, a paper mill. And within a couple of weeks, she started having just this incessant cough. And I'm like, what in the world? Took her to her pediatrician and her pediatrician is like, well, we're going to go ahead and give her a nebulizer. Um, as the months went on, she's like, 
she has asthma. She goes, but you know, we can't call it that she's too little. So we're going to call it obstructive airway disease. And you need to go ahead and start giving her a nebulizer, you know, twice a day. I mean, as an infant. And I'm like, okay, you know, this is scary for a mom. Um, you know, as she went on, as she was growing, you know, we had repeat ear infections. She had constant ear infections. Um, when she was 18 months old, she had RSV and was hospitalized with RSV, um, which, you know, is, as you know, severe respiratory issue and um, had to have a respiratory therapist when we were in the hospital for a couple of days. Um, by the time she was two years old, we had to have ear tube surgery twice. And she had had eight or nine ear infections um, leading up to that ear tube surgery, which is so frustrating in the medical world because it's like, it was evident that she was having repeat ear infections. I'm like, can we just put the ear tubes in? Like that's going to solve the problem. And of course the medical models like, well, you have to have at least eight or nine ear infections before we can warrant giving her ear tubes. And I'm going, are you kidding me? This is nuts. And so there was lots of antibiotics early on um, in her childhood, lots of antibiotics, lots of steroids, um, you know, just a lot of pharmaceuticals um, in her system. As she grew older, you know, coming on the ages of four or five, six, you know, she was always sick. If there was any sickness to be had, she would catch it, you know. And um, we started noticing that she was developing what we would call transient tics, you know, she would have kind of weird little rituals, you know, like buckling up her seatbelt or crossing the threshold of a door or, or different things. Or we would notice that there'd be times um, if she was, you know, she would have like really strong outbursts of rage. And so at first it was like, well, she's just a growing kid. You know, we move, her dad is military, he's home, he's gone. You know, I was able to individually chalk up the individual symptoms, but collectively, I really didn't have an idea of what was going on. Um, strangely enough, she also had a lot of teeth issues, a lot of cavities, just a lot of infections, tooth infections, you know, um, infections in her gum, which I was like, this is, you know, this is nuts. And it was always her. And as she grew, you know, and I would take her to the pediatricians, you know, we were continuing to vaccinate at this time. Um, you know, and they would just tell me like, no, these are just transient ticks. She'll just grow out of them. You know, this is normal. She's just spirited. She's just, you know, and they always was kind of blowing me off a little bit. And it wasn't until she was about nine or 10 that the ticks were no longer going away. Because before with transient ticks, she would have them for five or six weeks. They would go away, almost kind of like go dormant. And then they would reemerge as something else um, and something different. And, you know, with the ticks, um, it also seemed like she was developing a little bit of like ADHD, which sounds funny, but I was like, there's just something I could tell as a mama, my instinct said, there's something brewing here. And I don't know what this is. And when I would talk to her doctors, well-meaning, wonderful pediatricians we've had in our past, lovely people who absolutely love their job and love kids, but truly didn't know what, um, you know, what they were really looking at, you know, she's, she's fine. Her blood work is fine. Her lungs sound fine. You know, it's fine. It's fine. And you're just going, okay. So I would encourage parents as I'm kind of laying the foundation of where we're going today, that if you sense there's something going on with your kid, a hundred percent, look into it, you know, take note of it, make notes, you know, just keep an eye on it because we are our kids only advocate and we are our kids best advocate. And if you're not getting the answers you want with the doctors that you have, keep reading, keep asking, you know, keep going until, until you find somebody that's really going to listen to you. Um, so we, we hit about age 10 and her OCD was starting to stick around, 
kind of permanently. And it was starting to become an issue in the family where like her OCD was starting to affect our daily, our daily living. And it was affecting her sibling. And, um, you know, it, it was hard to get out the door. Things had to be a certain way, um, you know, and it was becoming a struggle. So we took her to a pediatric psychiatrist and he did an assessment. He said, she does have OCD and there's different forms of OCD. It can be, you know, obsessions with counting. It can be a cleanliness thing. It can be um, a fear of germs or somebody being a germy person. It can be sexual in nature. There's a lot of different ways that OCD will express itself. For her, she had tagged her sister somehow as a germy person. Um, in her brain, at some point, you know, when her sister would cough or sneeze or if her sister was setting the table, you know, she wouldn't want to use that plate or she would have a ritual if her sister would cough to keep the germs away. And so all of a sudden her sister was the contaminant in her mind, which you can imagine was causing a lot of, a lot of stress and strife in our family. And it wasn't until I had no, and I had no idea about pans and pandas that those words had never been uttered to me ever. You know, I just thought I had a kid with OCD um, who happened to also have asthma, who also happened to be very susceptible to a lot of viruses and bacteria who, you know, would get sick at the drop of a hat. And my daughter was doing volleyball and the volleyball coach came up to me one day after practice and she said, Miss Liberate, she's like, I, I don't want to step on any toes. She's like, but can I talk to you for a second? I said, absolutely. And she said, I noticed that Reese is ticking a lot on the volleyball court. She said, I noticed it before. She goes, but it seems to have gotten worse. She goes, and wasn't she just sick? I said, yeah, she was just sick. You know, I said, she's doing better now. I said, but yeah, I've noticed that too. Her ticks are much more pronounced. And she said, the volleyball coach said, have you ever heard of Pan's Pandas? And I said, what is that? Well, turns out this volleyball coach, her son was diagnosed with pandas. And she said, let me tell you about my son. And she started laying out, you know, he was a sickly baby. You know, he, he too had a lot of ear infections, you know, had issues with teeth. You know, there was just all of these parallels of kind of like always sickness, always something. And, you know, she said he was diagnosed with pandas and explained what it was. And I was just like, I was still in denial. I was like, no, 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 no. That's your kid. My kid just has OCD. We're going to go to the, you know, pediatric psychiatrist. We're probably going to put her on a medication because that's what you do. You know, like I didn't tell her that, but I was like, okay, thank you for your concern. You know, thank you for the information. Yeah, no, I'll look into it. And uh, it was funny because she had actually, she was the one that mentioned to me, have you heard of Teresa Holler? She's someone who, you know, knows a little bit about pans and pandas. And I was like, okay, yeah, you know, thanks. And the thought just kept rolling around in my head. I was like, man, what is this? And so I went home and I tried to search up, you know, something on the internet about what is pans pandas? What is this? And, um, you know, there really wasn't a lot out there. And as I came to learn, you know, the American Medical Association only had about a paragraph on it in the time, because at this point it was about 2016. So we were still kind of in the dark ages <laughs> of pans and pandas. Um, and there wasn't much on the AMA. And then because the AMA didn't have a whole lot of information, that meant the American Academy of Pediatrics didn't have a whole lot of information either. So that was another reason these pediatricians really didn't, they're like, you know, our go-to sources don't have a whole lot of information on it. Therefore, we don't have a lot of information on it. And I was just like, man, this is interesting. I don't know, maybe. So I did make an appointment um, with Teresa and um, I brought my daughter and I didn't tell her what, what I had been told. I just said, 
you know, we sat across from Teresa and she said, you know, how can I help you? And I said, well, I said, there's something just seems to be a little bit off. I said, with her health, I said, I don't know what it is. I said, and we're hoping that you can kind of help us uncover, you know, some clues. And she's like, okay. And we sat down and we did a medical history, a very long medical history with a lot of questions. And after, you know, probably about 30 minutes, you know, Teresa put the pen down and she looked at me and she said, I think your daughter has pans. And I said, okay, what is that? What, what, what is this? And, you know, come to find out, I've learned a lot. Um, and there's, it's really sorry. I feel like I apologize if I'm sounding a little scattered. There's so much, you know, in this journey. And we went through probably about five to seven plus years, not including her younger years of health journey. And it's like, how do I narrow this down, you know, to share with parents, like when there's so much that could be said, but in a nutshell, you know, the immune system was taking a beating is, is what it boiled down to. And what we, I realized, um, what I put together myself was looking back, I could see there was a correlation between my daughter getting a vaccine and some sort of health thing that then came from it. And then there were more vaccines and more health issues. And there was just this very slow progression of her immune system fighting the pharmaceuticals and the viruses and the bacteria and the environmental toxic load, you know, um, and that her immune system was really kind of sputtering is the best way to put it. And so she's like, okay, she's like, here's what we're going to do. Um, we are going to figure out what is the underlying cause? What is, what is going on with her body? And we went ahead and did a viral blood panel to see what was going on with her blood work, you know? And of course, not surprisingly, her vitamin D was extremely low. She was anemic. Um, you know, we could see the different, the different viruses, you know, that she had had in the past and had her body had been able to um, have an antibody for it and had sequestered it. But there was one that was glaringly obvious and her mycoplasma levels were sky high. And she said, okay, we found the culprit. She has an underlying mycoplasma infection. And um, from there, there was a conference up at Columbia University in New York. And they, for the first time ever, um, it was called the Common Threads Conference. And it was these doctors coming from all over the world, from Israel and Norway and Denmark and Harvard and out in California and Stanford. And I mean, just all across the globe, um, there were doctors coming for just to kind of convene. And the first day of the conference was for physicians and medical professionals only. And they were basically sharing their notes of this is what we're seeing. These are the symptoms. This is, you know, this is what the expression is happening. Well, this is what we're dealing with, with these patients and sharing and trying to kind of piece together and create this uh, more of a completed puzzle of what is it that we're dealing with. And then the second day of the conference was for caregivers and parents. And um, we were able to go in and they had a panel of doctors and the parents were able to share and they were professionals that were trying to, you know, give us as much education as they could about what they think they found. But it was it was very incomplete. And it was also I saw a lot of hopelessness at that conference. Um, but it was also interesting, too, because there were some things where looking back, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and. I can see where they were on the right path in some ways and in other ways, you know, I was like, well, that's kind of a waste of time, but that's right. And really trying to piece together, what is it that we're dealing with? And pans and pandas really has to do with, you have your blood brain barrier and the blood brain barrier, you know, protects the brain. Well, there's junctions at your blood brain barrier. And when 
your body, when your immune system starts to kind of come under attack, the body will, will mount a fever response. That is normal. That is good. That is your body, you know, fighting viruses, bacteria, or anything else that's trying to harm it. You know, that fever response is actually your ally. And in pans, pandas kids, what tends to happen is the immune system gets knocked down so much. It gets overwhelmed to where the junctions of the blood brain barrier basically become breached. And what was happening was autoimmune antibodies from the body's own system were crossing over the blood brain barrier, which they should not do, but they do in pans pandas. And they cross over the blood brain barrier and they basically attack the basal ganglia portion of the brain. That is the executive functioning part of the brain. And that is the part of the brain that regulates emotional control, speech, math, um, spelling, handwriting, um, you know, judgment, impulse control, things like that. And so these kids, what was happening is they were getting sick, well, either virus, bacteria, vaccine injury, whatever, you know, and, and environmental toxic load, and their immune system basically had taken such a hit, their body could no longer mount a fever response to viruses and bacteria, and the body was mounting a histamine response to viruses and bacteria. So when you have a natural histamine response in your body, your the TH17 cells tell the like T1 mast cells, whatever, to like activate. And when that happens, it actually increased the number of uh, um, autoimmune antibodies in the brain, which is now attacking itself. So the body was basically attacking itself, thinking it was saving it, but it wasn't. I like to tell parents that, you know, for something that's so complicated, I like to kind of explain it like a, like a office building. I said, imagine that you have security guards and the security guards think that the office building that they're patrolling only goes from floors one through nine. So these security guards get on the elevator and they can go floors one, two, three, four, five, up to nine. And they just patrol. That's what they do day in and day out. There's no bacteria. Everything is fine. Well, the brain, which works for the company and owns the company and manages the company is on level 10. And the security guards only go from floor one through nine. Well, what happens is one day this the elevator goes all the way to the top to level 10, the doors open on the brain and these security guards, the autoimmune antibodies um, come in and they basically are like, who are you? You're not supposed to be here. This isn't right. And they start attacking the brain, not knowing that they're actually all on the same team. And that's essentially what happens. And that's where that neuropsychiatric um, expressions come from. That's where the rage comes from. That's where the history, like the um, impulse, the the OCD, the bedwetting, the um, extreme separation anxiety, all the ways that it can be expressed, which there's a lot of them um, comes from. And so it's, it's really, it's, 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 it's a very complex illness, because you're not only dealing with okay, we have an immune system that has been extremely knocked down and is damaged, but now it's opportunistic because there are viruses and bacteria and things that have gotten into the body that the body is still trying to fight and it's overwhelmed. So that's really kind of where we found ourselves was just very overwhelmed with her body. Um, so did you have a question for me or yeah, I just wanted to just really briefly. So when you when you trace it back and you're you're making that correlation to a vaccine, do you recall what vaccine specifically it was? That is a really good question. Um, I probably could go back to look. Um, 
at specifically which ones those were, but we basically were following, you know, the vaccine schedule. So when she was, you know, when she was little at four months, you know, at, at 12 months, at 18 months, whatever was recommended is whatever we gave her. And we gave her all of them. You know, we gave her the MMR, we gave her, you know, the hepatitis series, you know, we gave her influenza shots because, you know, she was an asthmatic and oh, we have to cocoon her and we have to cocoon everybody in the family and everybody needs to be vaccinated to protect her. And, you know, at the time, you know, as a mom, you're, you're doing the best you can with the information you have. And you're like, okay, you're the professional. Absolutely. Well, let me, let me stop you right there because we're up against a break, but we've, we're going to dig into so much more of this on the other side of that. Give me just a moment. Don't forget to check out our online store at americaoutloud.shop where you can find all of the products that we represent on our network at a discounted rate, including ASEA Redox, which I can personally speak to seeing fantastic results with, including better sleep, increased energy, improved mood, and a decrease in my joint pain. Use promo code OUTLOUD to save 15% off your purchase. I'll catch you on the other side of this break. Stay with us. It's time and day. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Lifestyle changes are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support cholesterol and blood pressure with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD for 25% off. Who's got time for a nasal invasion messing up your lifestyle? Crush those nasties before they become a problem. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order with the coupon code OUTLOUD, you'll receive 20% off the entire purchase. Go to AmericaOutloud.shop. That's AmericaOutloud.shop. And use coupon code OUTLOUD. Use CoFixRx because it works. ASEA believes that inside each of us is the potential to feel our very best. Our redox-based products tap into reserves within you to power your personal well-being. Make our breakthrough products an essential step in fulfilling your greatest potential. ASEA, we power potential. For exclusive savings, use code OUTLOUD to save 15% off your first order today. George Washington once encouraged us to animate and encourage each other and show the whole world that a free man contending for liberty on his own ground is superior to any slavish mercenary on earth. That's exactly what we do, as you'll see when you visit AmericaOutloud.news. Now is our time. My fellow Americans, America Out Loud Talk Radio, liberty and justice for all. Welcome back to Nurses Out Loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nurse Kimberly Overton. Wherever you're listening from today and whatever you're doing, I thank you for giving me the gift of your time. If you're, be sure to make AmericaOutloud.news your daily stop for all the latest news and happenings. We all must do our part and share the stories, the articles, the podcasts, and videos so we can help secure America's future. If you're just joining us, I've been talking with homeschool mom and Pans Pandas advocate Amber Libert. Let's jump right back in. 
So Amber, thank you so much. You shared so much information at, at, in the first half of the show that is just so important for uh, moms to understand. And I know we talked about it, you know, correlating it back to vaccines. And I think it's interesting because honestly, I feel like, and especially over these last years, I've, I've really, my eyes have been very opened uh, during COVID and I started doing the research. I truly believe that we are all vaccine injured on some level. And that Absolutely. we've just we've just never connected the dots. So we look at things like pans and pandas, and and they are attributing it to things like the streptococcal infections and all of that. But when we when we think about it, Amber, is it not that you know we again? I, I believe we're all significantly vaccine injured. It's simply a cascade of events that begins with the destruction of our immune system, and I believe that that is beginning with the vaccines and we are Absolutely. destroying our immune system and from there it is a cascade of events that occurs to repeated infections and and now here we are with pans and pandas so let's if you want to try to jump in back in and talk about underlying causes and what you what you those are my feelings but i want i want to get your feelings yeah. on as well. yeah. no absolutely um i just want to support what you just said um as far as like the cascade of events, you know, that is exactly correct. Um, the world we're living in when you're, when you're looking at the child, you know, we all know that there's, there's more, there's more toxins. We all know that we all have, what is an environmental load? What are we talking about? You know, things like fragrances and laundry detergent and dryer sheets, which if I could shout out to any pans, pandas, moms right now, or people who think their kid may have something along these lines, please, number one, stop using these Febreze and Tide and all these other things that cause these chemicals in your home to make it smell good is so hard on your on your body. Um, but, you know, so going to Columbia Med and going to the conference and trying to learn as much as I could, I started attending different workshops anywhere I could find them. Um, you know, a pediatric neurologist came and gave a talk in Charlotte and he he said on stage, you know, he no longer gave vaccines because of what he saw in his practice. And he was a doctor trying to treat pans pandas. Um, and he had been a pediatric neurologist for over 30 years. And he's like, there's no denying, you know, that it is causing damage. It is causing damage to the blood brain barrier. It is causing damage, you know, to our immune system. And the more pharmaceuticals that we're seeing in these kids, the sicker they are and the more frequently they're in their office. Um, there was another very famous pediatrician. Um, I don't feel at liberty to share his name because he asked us not to share his name if you were outside of the attending workshop. Um, but I will say he wrote a very famous book um, about, you know, vaccines um, with your children um, as far as like trying to find a safer way to do it. And his father was also a pediatrician as well. And he said, in our practice, we have over 40 years of, you know, imperial data, basically, of seeing our patients. And he said, the more vaccines, the more vaccinated the, the patients we had, he said, the more frequently they were in our office with ear infections, with all these other things. And he said, my families, he said, there were mamas, he said that I thought were a little nutty that were like, no, we don't want to get a vaccine. And they were like, okay, well, you're the parent, you know, that is your right to choose. And, you know, he said, I definitely frowned on it. He said, but it was their choice. And he said, those families, I never saw them. They were never sick. He said they were rarely sick. And so we're absolutely seeing this correlation between pharmaceuticals, vaccines, 
Um, and then when you're dealing with the everyday viruses and bacteria, or you're dealing with Lyme, or you're dealing with Candidia or Bartonella or anything else that we're, we're seeing, you know, an increase in, and then you add on top of that processed food, you know, um, living in sick environments, our water is not very clean, our, our air is not very clean, all these things take a toll on the body. And so how do you start peeling back the layers of something that is so complex to figure out how do I help my child, you know, and so um, first thing we did, so when we sat down with Teresa, and we looked at her blood work, and we saw that there was an active infection. And uh, her infection for for her happened to be mycoplasma, um, which like I said before, causes walking pneumonia, but for her as her body was trying to quester it and, and it was the mycoplasma that was kind of the catalyst for her. Um, we went ahead and ordered what's called a Cunningham panel. A Cunningham panel is kind of the gold standard right now. It's done by Moleculera Labs. Um, I believe it's out of University of Oklahoma. Uh, and Dr. Cunningham developed this, this blood test. Um, it's not covered by insurance. I do believe it was about $850 at the time. Maybe insurance will cover it now. Maybe the prices come down with more people ordering it. I don't know. But they were able to basically measure different proteins and different things to see what was happening in the brain. And they measured something called the CAM phase two. And on their scale, um, you know, they had different scales based on it. And, and when they did my daughter's blood work, hers numbers were off the charts. And when I say off the charts, um, a after hours lab. So it was after hours and a lab tech called, uh, our medical provider after hours and said, we just ran this patient's blood work. These are the highest levels we have ever seen. And that is not an award that you want. Right. You know, they said, um, you know, for example, like on one of the tests, you know, <laughs> the upper limit was 2,500. My daughter's numbers were at 8,000. They said, this is, this is insane. Like her brain is on fire. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we sat down with Teresa and she was just like, I don't know if I can help you. She's like, I know there's doctors in New York. I know there's doctors other places. I may send you out. She's like, you might need plasmapheresis. So plasmapheresis is when they basically, I think um, dialysis patients get it, you know, when they basically take your blood and try to filter your blood, you know, trying to take some of the antibodies out of the blood, you know, and she's like, there's IVIG, which is a treatment. Um, it's intravenous. Um, oh, my brain is immunoglobulin. Yes, intravenous immunoglobin. Um, but that was about $1,000 per 10 kilogram of weight. So if you had like a 130 pound child, you know, you're looking at like, you know, 10 to $13,000 out of pocket because insurance doesn't cover it, you know, because again, going back to the American Academy of Pediatrics doesn't have a diagnostic code for it. And the AMA doesn't have it and they don't have the complete data. So if, if the AMA and, and the Academy of Pediatrics doesn't have enough data that says, here's the symptoms, here's the treatment plan, here's the ICD-10 code, then insurance is not going to pay for it. And we're like, okay. And, but again, those treatments, all you're doing is, is, is taking the levels down, but we're not dealing with the underlying cause. So we have to separate out you know, what was happening. So we knew we needed to shore up her immune system because one of the questions was, um, when was the last time she had a fever? And I thought, well, that's a really funny question. And I had to think about it. And I'm like, gosh, it's been over two and a half years. And she's like, but she's had ear infections since then. And she's had mycoplasma since then. And we were able to look and see like, she's had things that her body should have done a fever response for in the last two and a half years, but there's been none. And so 
so looking at the molecularia labs, she was like, all right, so first thing we're going to do is we're going to deal with the underlying infection, and then we're going to focus on the immune system. So we started with azithromycin, which there's a lot of different antibiotics out there. Um, and azithromycin happens to be one that is very effective for mycoplasma. And so she stayed on that for three or four rounds. Um, we also, at the time, um, Stanford University had a protocol. Um, I don't necessarily recommend that protocol, knowing what I know now, but at the time, you're grasping for straws because again, there's no set treatment plans for these kids. And doctors were still scrambling, trying to pull things together, trying to figure out what is it that we're looking at. And so we put her on a very high dose of, of prednisone um, and, you know, trying to bring down the inflammation that was happening in her brain. And um, I mean, she talk about psychiatric symptoms. I mean, there was hallucinations. She was hearing voices. Um, there was a lot of screaming and crying. There was a lot of curled up in the fetal position. There was the, the germ OCD thing was an all time high. She would only wear her dad's t-shirts. She would be in the backyard. She wouldn't want to be in the house with her sister. Um, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, I know this is so hard. This is so hard for you to talk about, but it's so important. And I'm so grateful yeah. to you for being here and sharing this information with these parents. Yeah. You know, because you go from having a brain typical child to now having kind of a special needs child in a very short amount of time. And you're going, what in the world just happened? And so you're trying to kind of get your bearings. Um, but so, so we basically got her on some antibiotics trying to deal with the mycoplasma. And then we went ahead and switched over to some antimicrobials. Um, Nutramedics is an amazing, amazing company. They basically saved my daughter's life um, because they have what's called antimicrobials. And the antimicrobials are basically antiviral and antibacterial. They also have some antifungals and they have things that can deal with the underlying cause. So really our treatment plan at that point um, was to take it slow. We knew it was going to take us months and months and months, if not years to get her back to a good place because it had been a cascade of events over years and years and years of damage to the immune system. Um, and so now we're having to try to start the process and the journey of repairing it. Um, so we started with, you know, what does her vitamin D look like? Well, of course, her vitamin D was in the tank because she had been fighting mycoplasma for so long. You know, she was anemic. Um, her white blood cell count was very low. There were all of these things that was like, we have to shore up her immune system. So finding appropriate supplements um, that would support her while at the same time bringing down um, whatever infection it was. And the infections can be so many things. You know, you can have pans pandas from Lyme disease, you know, um, tick-borne illnesses. There's so many, you know, Babesia, um, um, there's so many in there. And so it can be Lyme, it can be mycoplasma, it can be influenza, it can be COVID, it can be streptococcus, it can be so many things. And so learning how to separate the symptoms from the cause is really important. So yes, the symptoms you want to note them, but really, again, it was the fact that her body couldn't, could not mount a fever response, meant her body was mounting a histamine response. Well, how do you calm down histamines? Well, people do it with allergies all the time. So once we figured out that's what was happening, there was a couple of um, herbs, I think it was Cyflocalm 2 and Oncoplex, and lithium orotate, lithium orotate brings down the CAM2 phase, the CAM2 
proteins in the brain, which help bring down the inflammation. So lithium orotate, L-theanine, um, you know, the lymphatic system is so important. So not only were we trying to kind of sequester the infection, whatever that is, and that's why the treatment plan can be kind of nuanced and hard. And you really need to find a medical provider, someone to work with you. Um, because the treatment plan for someone with Lyme's is going to be different than the treatment plan for someone with mycoplasma. Um, but there can be some crossovers. So dealing with whatever is the active virus, bacteria, infection, whatever is happening in the body, dealing with that is going to bring down those neuropsychiatric um, symptoms. As that infection was dealt with, the histamine response calmed down and we saw a reduction, like someone turning the volume down in her brain on her OCD symptoms and the rage got calmer and she got calmer and her handwriting got better and her speech got better. Um, you know, she, she definitely had things like, it was almost as if with the inflammation in the brain, um, because the basal ganglia part of the brain had been affected, um, we saw some lingering effects, you know, she had forgotten some math. Um, so we did have to get like a math tutor. Um, you know, there were different things that we had to do to kind of support her education because it was almost like a Picasso on the inside of her brain or a Jackson Pollock. I'm sorry, Jackson Pollock, where, you know, the guy takes the paint and he dips yeah. it in the bucket and he just kind of splatters it against the wall. And that is kind of like what had happened in her brain. There was damage from the inflammation, so to speak. And so there were pockets of memories or school, or like I said, the handwriting or the speech, um, you know, math. I mean, there's things that were like, okay, you know how to do this, but you forgot what two times two is, you know, and now at this point she was about 13 years old and she couldn't remember basic times tables because that part of her brain had been a little bit damaged from the inflammation. Um, and so it can be very hard because you have family members that may not understand. Um, you have doctors that may just want to medicate them. Um, but really I think for the parents, it's, it's, if you sense there's something not quite right, you are correct. There is something not quite right. You may be sensing something brewing in your child's system um, or your child's fighting something, or there's something, you know, a little bit off. And so, you know, there are blood, there are, there is blood work. There are tests, you know, we can look and monitor, um, you know, and so it was very much a dance of what we did of, you know, continuing to, to bring down that infection. And so we, like I said, we went from azithromycin for a few weeks, a little bit of prednisone weaned off of that, trying to bring the inflammation down in her brain. And then we switched over to antimicrobials, which would kill off you know, the mycoplasma is actually a bacteria, which would kill off the bacteria while also leaving her gut biome in good standing, trying not to give her GI issues on top of everything else. Um, you know, and as we were able to kill the infections, you know, then her immune system was able to kind of get a foothold again and continue to heal and repair. And about a year and a half after working with Teresa, um, it was January, really close to my birthday, and my daughter woke up with 101.2 fever. And I just cried. I was just like, oh my gosh, thank you, Jesus. Like, this is the best present ever. Yeah, fever, exactly. Fever. And so we were able to watch her body have histamine responses. And so one thing that's interesting, I do want to note about that with the histamine response, when the child has stopped having a fever response, is that 
you know, we could have, she would have a day where it's like, oh, her behavior is just worse and her OCD is worse or the rage is worse. And then two or three days later, we would realize, oh, wait, she's sick. And so when we would have, you know, kids from school or sports or family members or somebody come around and she was exposed, she was having histamine responses to exposures. So sometimes that bad behavior is just the body saying, hey, we're under attack again because she still dealt with head colds and viruses and things of that nature on COVID. That was fun. You know, on top of still trying to heal, you know, her immune system. So there's a lot of back and forth um, and nuanced. And there was a lot of prayer. Um, there was a lot of, you know, reaching out to family and friends and saying, hey, this is what we're dealing with. We could really use your support, you know, and some people are going to understand and some people are not. Um, some people are going to think, well, you just need to have a stronger discipline system. But really, it's like, no, this this kid is their brain is sick. They're not doing these things on purpose. And when her brain would calm down, my daughter would have these moments of kind of clarity and she would just be so remorseful. And she's like, mom, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for what I said when I was angry. I'm so sorry. And I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. We're going to heal this. And, you know, she went from, there were several years where with her sibling, you know, they had to use separate bathrooms. They had to use, she would use paper plates. My other daughter would use normal plates. Um, they couldn't sit next to each other. They couldn't touch each other because, you know, if my daughter coughed, you know, my daughter with pans would, would just lose it. And, and in moments of clarity, you know, my pans daughter would, would reassure my, her sister verbally, I do love you. I know it's not your fault. It's just my brain. My brain is sick. And that was kind of the mantra that we had to go through in this house. And that was something that I would sit down with my older daughter and we would pray about. And I'm like, listen, honey, I said, the enemy wants you and your sister to not have a relationship, but we're just going to keep praying, you know, that she's going to heal and that when she's healed, it's going to be good. And, you know, as time went on um, through treating the underlying infection, shoring up the immune system, you know, Um, We also did homeschool, which was a huge blessing because the days where she did have exposures and it was just like all we could do, you know, to get through the day, we were able to just stay home and, and, and have that calm environment and go, okay, what do we need to do to get through the day? And then on good days, you know, um, we could get through schoolwork. And so it, it really worked for us. Um, But, you know, over time, like her fever response came back the other symptoms turned down. She, her, she started sharing her sister's clothes again. They started, um, you know, hugging again. They went probably about two years without um, a hug. And if you look at family photos from that time period, you'll see like one daughter on one side of us, the parents in the middle, my other daughter on the other side, you know, because of the separation. And now they're inseparable and they are really like best friends. Um, and, you know, when we were in the thick of it, when we were having days when, you know, my daughter was like under her bed, you know, crying because her sister was coughing or, you know, we couldn't leave the house. And there so, I will say this pans and pandas children, their social battery can be very small. Um, they're fighting and it's like, it's like being constantly sick. And we all know how we feel when we're constantly sick. You know, um, you just, you don't feel good. You just don't have that bandwidth, you know, to deal with a lot of outside stressors. And so I think for parents, um, 
finding those Facebook groups, which there's a lot of them, you know, we're in North Carolina and there is a Carolinas for North and South Carolina Pans Pandas Parents Support Group on Facebook. Um, there we'll is sure we link to all of these in the show notes Absolutely. as well. Yes. Yeah. But I mean, we are now seeing, you know, there's books being written about Pans and Pandas. There's, you know, there's, there's groups, there's places to go where you as a parent can get that support and say, this is what's going on in my house. Here's what we're dealing with. And to have a community of people saying, we understand, we get that. Yeah, my, my kid doesn't do exactly that. My kid does this because it's very much like a sunflower. You know, you have like the infection in the stem. You have all these kids' immune systems are damaged. The infection is in the stem. But at the top of the flower, you have this expression of all of these different petals. And there's all these different ways that pans and pandas can be expressed. You know, for some of these kids, it's just severe separation anxiety or bedwetting at a very at an older age. Um, for other kids, it can be severe, you know, severe OCD, severe um, rage, you know, um, Tourette's, Tourette-like syndrome, um, Sydenham Korea, like, uh, tendencies, you know, strong OCD ticks. I mean, there's all different ways that it can be expressed. Um, yeah, and I think that's why so many of these are misdiagnosed because they are, they are looked at as behavioral issues. Right. Um, and many Correct. of these children are placed on the autism spectrum. They're medicated versus yeah. eliminating and addressing the root cause. And, and look what you've been able to do by getting to the root cause of what was happening. Um, because these aren't the t- these type of tests that you mentioned earlier, the Cunningham panel and all of those, those aren't tests that you're going to find when you go to your pediatrician's office, like they're not, they're not going to do these tests. They don't look to the root cause. And some of them are well-intentioned pediatricians, but they don't know any better. You're exactly right. You are exactly right because they've only been trained to do medicine one way. And that is to separate the, the, um, to look at simply the symptoms Well, looking at the symptoms, you know, like I said before, those families at Columbia med that were testifying, they were like, you're saying you throw anti, you know, psychiatrics at this. This doesn't work. So there was um, a pediatric neurologist I went and listened to at a at a workshop, and there I met. I've met a lot of families um, over the years that are also dealing with the same thing and trying to encourage one another. And there was a grandmother, and it made me so sad, and it still makes me sad thinking about this family. But she said, you know, their daughter would just be screaming and raging, um, and they would just put her in the closet trying to keep her from harming herself or other people. And um, the family ended up putting her in a mental institute in Florida because they just couldn't handle it. And the truth is, is that it's not just when it when you're talking about this, this neuroimmunology, which neuro is brain immunology is health, right? So the, the immune system of the brain is really what we're talking about here. Um, when you're looking at that brain neuroimmunology, you know, it can be something as simple as celiac disease. Right. You could have a kid, you know, and that is something I do want to touch on was that that was also part of the treatment was that we took gluten out of her diet completely because the gluten is a huge inflammatory. Sugar is a huge inflammatory. Dairy is a huge inflammatory. You know, the dyes, a lot of this processed foods would only contribute to poor behavior and psych and, and increased psychiatric um, neuropsychiatric symptoms. And so I'm not going to say, don't let your kid have sugar. We just used sugar as more of a treat and in more limited quantities because we knew it did cause 
inflammation in her body. And there are some really funky symptoms, you know, that come, um, you know, my daughter still, you know, when she is sick, you know, and she's inflamed, you know, you'll see the pupils get really big and that's a sign of inflammation in the brain. You know, they won't get smaller and dilate in light. They'll stay big. Um, that's a sign of inflammation. You know, she'll have numbness in her legs. Um, you know, we've taken her to the pediatrician and had her assessed just to make sure we're not missing something. And they're like, we don't know what this is. And I'm like, I know what this is. And lo and behold, you give them ibuprofen and the pain in the legs goes away. I'm like, this is inflammation. Inflammation shows up in the body in so many different ways. Inflammation is the trigger of so, of so many of these. And again, it's that cascade of events, but it, it starts with the inflammation. You know, I, I, I hate to, I hate to cut you off because we're, but we're out of time, <laughs> but we're going to have to have you back because we oh. have, oh God, I feel like we have so much more to go into. Uh, yeah. So we're going to connect again, but I will make sure, Amber, that we have all of these resources in our show notes for our Thank listeners. You. Thank you so much for being here and for sharing this uh, important information. Yes. Thank you so much, Kimberly. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to include my email on that resource. If yes. there's yes. moms um, or families that just you know, want help connecting or anything, I'm, I'm happy to share because really that is what we prayed is that Lord, you know, just glorify this situation. And I just want to leave you with this last final thought. If somebody had told me, you know, back in those hard days that, um, you know, my daughter would ever be able to drive, you know, have the wherewithal to put her behind the wheel of a 5,000 pound car and be safe on the road to, to drive, to have a job, to go back into mainstream school, um, you know, to maintain social relationships. You know, she has a wonderful boyfriend right now and it's like, she's doing all of these things. And so I want to just leave the families with this, that there is hope that if you dig enough, and you pull back those layers, you find that underlying cause, you shore up their immune system, you keep going, you know, there will be healing. It doesn't, you don't get sick overnight. You don't come out of it overnight. It's going to take time. Um, but, you know, with prayer and support and, and appropriate treatment, you know, today, you know, my daughter is very healthy and happy and living a very normal life and holding down adult responsibilities. And it's such a blessing. And so I'm so happy to share hope and encouragement with these families that think that the prognosis is dark or dim or that this is their child forever. That is not true. The body wants to heal. The brain can heal. There is brain neuroplasty. You know, it can regenerate itself and um, there is hope. Amen. Thank you so much, Amber. Thank you, Kimberly. I really appreciate you and your and your group and your all that you do. Thank you for shedding light on this important topic. Absolutely. And that's all the time that we have for today, friends. But remember, we are here on the air five days a week, Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern. You can also catch the encore at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Please be sure to tune in and listen to myself and my amazing sister nurses. As we walk you through all of these hot topics, we will empower you with information and education. We will advocate and we will stand in the gap for you because we are nurses and this is what we do. I'm your host, Nurse Kimberly Overton. You can find me here every Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern. Until next time, be safe, be well, and God bless. Remember, we are in a war for truth. We're putting out a bounty on the real misinformation and exposing the purveyors of propaganda. No topic is off limits as we shine our lights and expose the darkness. It's time